Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. It's always fun to have a guest on the show, even more fun in my opinion if it's somebody that I've talked to more than just once or twice and somebody that's been on the podcast before. So if you are wanting to hear an update from somebody who opened an e-bike store basically a year ago, uh, this is going to be really exciting, really interesting to hear what has happened Let's get into it. Once again, I'm Kyle Chittock, your host, and this is the Bolton E-Bikes Podcast. Hushman, welcome back for a second episode. Good morning, uh, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. I'm always excited when you and I get a chance to catch up. It's fun to be here. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Of course. And just a quick recap for those that maybe are newer to the podcast, haven't listened to some of the older episodes. You were originally on episode seven. Uh, we recorded that in February of last year. It came out on on March 3rd, uh, but it basically has been a year ago that we talked about you opening an e-bike store. And I think it was something like literally a matter of days before we hit record on that episode that you had started that process yeah you're absolutely correct i think my first day owning the business was february 1st and it was a matter of days before you and i sat down and talked about why i bought the business what i was planning to do with it and so forth and uh, who knew even back then i didn't expect to be here a year later uh, i knew you and i had talked about doing a follow-up conversation but it's been a tremendous ride and a lot of things to talk about. So I'm excited to have this chance to visit with you. First off, I have to ask, what were your expectations or did you have some goals for the business in that first year? I know it was kind of like you got thrown for a loop because you start this business, you probably set up some goals and then you know what hit <laughs> and everything is shut down. So what, what did you think was going to happen at first? And I guess let's start there. So part of the reason I wanted it to get in, formally get into the business, prior to purchasing the business, I had been involved with electric bikes for five plus years, as a, first as a consumer, then enthusiast. And then I started becoming more of a consultant to other companies and what I was doing with them. But I was looking at e-bikes as, an opportunity to do something for myself. I wanted to get a business and uh, set it up. And initially, my plan was to set up a brand new business, do online marketing, and be a be an e-commerce business. Um, opportunity came about, and I had a chance to buy a retail store from a couple that wanted it to retire. And at first, I thought, wow, retail, you know, it's a dying trend. Uh, a lot of companies are going out of business. I mean, you hear horror stories from established brands that are finally just going through bankruptcy and dying. Why would I want to do retail? But then I thought about it, and, I, and it was an opportunity to look at e-bikes and doing things differently. So sometimes you just have to roll the dice and say, <laughs> yes, it's it's not what I originally planned for, but this may work. and and I want to do something with it. So I had some goals for myself. My expectations were both monetary and from a volume, what I wanted it to be. And I developed a sense of what type of business we wanted it to be. What I didn't expect is buying a business, realizing that if I want to be successful, I have to transform it, which frankly, I knew that I had to transform it. But part of that transformation was to change the location, being in a place where e-bikes were better product for. So we wanted it to move to the central part of Denver. We wanted it to be in a high-end retail neighborhood. And we also wanted it to be surrounded with communities uh, that are it's more of an urban scene that lends itself for people looking at alternative transportation. What I didn't expect was the day that I'm signing a contract for a retail space that cost me three times as much as the previous space that the governor is going to shut down the state. And when that happens, you really got to question your sanity that <laughs> what are you doing here? That must have been a scary time right then. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, uh, you know, I'm signing a contract for multi-year lease agreement that costs me three times as much. But at the same time, the governor is shutting down the state. However, I also knew that if I don't do that, at the, the current location back then, it, things would go sideways. And as a result, you have no place to go but move forward. And you have to stick with your plan. It also gave me a confirmation that this is something you have to be committed to. You can't just buy a business or start a business, but you don't think about the good and the bad. You have to think about with everything that could happen and be prepared to respond to it. So, yeah, I did sign the contract. We used, I mean, the city was shut down. We were fortunate that we were labeled as an essential business. We were part of the transportation, so we remained open. But many of the retail stores in our neighborhood were shut down. We used the very few cars on the road to move the business. Uh, we set up the, the new store, and then we sat around waiting for customers. Um, <laughs> that pandemic shutdown also allowed us to set up our infrastructure, to set up our point-of-sale system, to take care of the Google ads and take care of the listings, the phone, the Internet. It's amazing what you have to go through in order to set up a store. And the challenges that comes with it, you know, you, you put a request in to the phone company to transfer your phone numbers, and they don't even respond to your request for two weeks. <laughs> Meanwhile, you are forwarding from the old location to your cell phone at the new location. I mean, you got to make it work. You have to make it work. So, yeah, that's what took place. And that was the beginning of an amazing journey. So what was 2020 really like by the end of it obviously it was a not necessarily rocky start but a very unpredictable start i would say not knowing what was going to happen but how did it how did it end up for you you know you got a brand new e-bike store uh, moving locations shutdowns and then this other weird thing happens which is that people started buying e-bikes like crazy so uh, something that's happened that I knew that I was going to do. When I was looking at the business and I was evaluating the, everything about it, I knew that I had to change locations. And I knew this process would take maybe two months before I'll be in a new location. So I decided not to order any new bikes until we're in the new location so we can evaluate the market and all that. So we get into the new space and it's end of March, early April. I sit down and I'm like, okay. I need to go order some bikes. And I had already talked to a few companies. I had built the business relationship. Come to find out there's a shortage of bikes. And that's when you realize, oh, my God, this is not simple as I have a relationship with Kyle and I'm going to order 10 bikes, right? It's a lot more to it. <laughs> yeah, I can say I'd love to sell you the bikes, but I don't have them. <laughs> yeah, well, you and I even, I remember calling you and you had just ordered, I, I don't know if it was a container of bikes you were bringing in and I was begging you to sell me some of them. And you said, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I need them for my own business. So yeah, I mean, these things do happen. So what I did was I invested two or three weeks where I stayed up at night and I started ordering bikes. And my philosophy was, what is it consumers want? Let's go get bikes. And some of it was trial and error. Some of it were established brands, but we needed to get inventory. The other thing I quickly discovered was 2020 is not going to be like 2019. Just because a company we had credit with, the previous business had credit with, and I had established that credit from the previous year, doesn't necessarily guarantee that I will get bikes from them. So as I started talking to these companies, I recognized that Sometimes you got to deal directly with the factories, and sometimes you have to make a commitment to them up front. So I uh, wrote quite a few checks during that period, prepaying bikes, knowing I'm not going to get them for three or four months. But we built a supply chain in order to ensure we have inventory. At the same time, I was getting phone calls from some of the other dealers in town, and they were bouncing ideas off of me, and they frankly, didn't have any bikes to sell. And they were relying on service, which also was a problem for me because I didn't have a team that could produce the results I needed supporting service. 
we were turning away customers that needed to repair their bikes that they hadn't written in 10 years at the same time trying to get new bikes in here. So it was an interesting time. I mean, when I could find bikes, I was buying them. We, we were trying to assemble them as fast as we can. Uh, we learned a lot from that experience. We hired quite a few people during that period that frankly didn't have bicycle store experience, but they were, they, they were familiar with bicycles and they could repair them. And through that process, we were able to move quite a few bikes, but we also had to develop our identity and a strategy with our customers so they understand what the challenges are and we're doing our best to support them. That's how the year started for us. Now, you ask what happened by the end of the year. By the end of the year, for several key brands, direct-to-consumer brands, we ranked top five in the nation as their dealers. We were making inroads very quickly in a matter of months from nobodies and people that are buying one or two bikes at a time to buying bicycles in truckload quantities. And the only reason I couldn't buy larger quantities, I didn't have any place to store. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm storing bikes in my garage. I'm storing bikes in the storage unit. I'm storing bikes in the store. Yeah, everywhere you could fit them. Right, exactly. And, and we had a supply chain that recognized we could sell bikes. We like bikes. We are e-bikes people. So they warmed up to the idea of working with us. Here's this new company that nobody knows if they're going to be around or not. But we created faith among our own employees, and that reflected with our partners that we knew what we were doing. And we started selling bikes. By the end of the year, uh, we had exceeded my expectations for the year by more than 30%. Now, some of it was as a result of pandemic and the increased demand. But I also like to think some of it because of our hard work and the, the what we brought to the table for our customers. And you you took some risks, you know, buying bikes three, four months ahead, trying to build up that inventory. That's a big thing right now is you kind of have to, like you said, be committed and take a risk to get the bikes that you know your customers are going to want. Uh, and it's uh, it's not easy <laughs> managing a, a business that way where you're having to buy your inventory months, uh, if not years ahead of time, because that's where it's at right now. Uh, I think you touched upon something that you're spot on. A lot of uh, traditional bicycle businesses, I'm talking about the retail stores that have been around for 30 years, they still have the mindset of the old analog bikes, right? We are bicycle people. You know, you have to sweat it and earn it in order to climb the mountain or climb the hill. Uh, so they never believed in the e-bike. I came from that side that said, wait, this is a tool. We're buying, I'm buying an e-bike so I can be able go, to go on longer rides and more adventurous rides to get in better shape. And I'm not having a heart attack on the side of the road. So one of the things I looked at it wasn't so much what I like, the kind of bikes I like. It was more about what the consumers want. And that was, I think, the secret. From early on, it wasn't just the high-end expensive bikes, but also give them the affordable bikes that they want. Give them the direct-to-consumer brands that they've been researching and they've been reading about on the same Facebook groups or on the Bolton e-bike podcast or a YouTube channel. Give them what they want not just be an elitist and say, you must get a class one bike. And yes, you must spend $5,000 or higher uh, to get a, what they quote as quality bike. I, on the other hand, knew you and I both have a similar background. You and I both knew that, hey, we can offer somebody a $1,500 bike that will outperform the $5,000 bike. And that's the bike that consumers want and they could afford. Yeah. It may not have the fancy suspension or, or the high-end shifter, but those aren't the priorities for most people buying electric bikes. They care about the size of the battery and how much power does it have. And, you know, it's a totally different buying experience from somebody who's really into bicycles. Very, very different. Precisely. And, and that was the differentiator with us and a lot of other retailers here in Colorado that we started offering them what they wanted, what they wanted it to ride. 
also, I was sensitive to the fact that pandemic brought people out of their homes uh, and bicycles were their escape. They couldn't go on the cruise vacations. They couldn't go to the restaurants. They couldn't go to the health club and uh, many other activities that they were used to. So they looked at bicycles to be able to get out there, be in the fresh air, be in the outdoors, and still be socially distanced and be safe. So to many of these people who haven't been on a bicycle in 10 years or longer, the idea of $1,500 is a lot of money because the last bike they had bought when they were much younger was $300. <laughs> right. It wasn't anywhere close to that price point. That's right. And to them, when they would walk into a store that only has 10 or 20 bikes and all of them are priced at $5,000, I knew there was an opportunity. So we, I remember in one time, the store was packed and we could hardly walk around. I did a casual count and we had 175 bikes in the store. I don't know how we fit 175 bikes in the store, but we were able to. So our philosophy was that if a consumer walks in and they like the bike, they should be able to go home with it. To this day, we get phone calls at the store that says, if I come to your store and I like a bike, how long it'll be before I can have it? They still think that they could be two months, three months, four months uh, delaying getting bikes. And our philosophy is we're not going to sell you something unless we have the inventory available today. That's great because that's a challenge and, uh, you know, that's that's definitely a problem I've got. I've got a, a whole bunch of bikes in the front of my shop that are for demo purposes. And a lot of those models are you can look at it, you can ride it, you can make sure it's the right bike, but I don't have one I can sell you today. <laughs> you know, we're out uh, months. I would love to have every bike immediately available. That's part of one of my goals for for this year and I haven't shared exact numbers on like the Blackbird bike, how many of those I've put into production. But, you know, if people knew how many parts I've ordered to build a certain number of those, I think they'd be pretty amazed. And and it's because I don't want to just keep up. You know, I want to have inventory on the shelves so somebody can come in and just buy one. Uh, and it's really hard to ramp up production that fast to get catch back up once you get behind. So it sounds like you're staying ahead of it. <laughs> and uh, and we're struggling to do that still. First of all, I want to recognize what you have accomplished in the past four or five years. I got to know you, I want to say it was 2015 or 2016 through one of the Facebook groups, and, and I've watched you grow. So I think you have been extremely successful with your brand and what you offer to your consumers. And, and I like to think that I have learned a thing or two from you as well. And But one of the things I would say is you and I have two different business models. We are a, what I consider us, we're not a bike shop, we're a premier showroom. We provide a different level of service than let's say you would provide your direct to uh, your online consumers. And they're both great. I'm not saying we're better or you're better. I think people need different models and different type of businesses to go to to meet their needs. What I will say is this, you may have two or three brands. You've done a tremendous job developing your own brand, and you may have maybe 10 different models. I have 12 brands in a store. That's a lot of different models. <laughs> that's right. And, and people have questioned me, why do you have so many brands? And that's precisely why. And some of these brands have four models. One of them has like 10 different models. So imagine the kind of inventory that we have to carry, but it also means that's how we've been able to have inventory available. We're not tied into one factory or two factory or two brands. We have a large selection. And some of these brands are duplicate brands. I recognize I can buy folding fat tire 20-inch bikes in high-step and low-step models from four different companies that are very similar. <laughs> yeah, you certainly can. Yeah, that is by design because I know at any given time, one of them, their container may be stuck outside the port on the water and they can't have their bikes when they told me they were going to have them. Yeah, and you can snatch bikes from another company instead. That's right. So those are some of the methodologies we've used uh, that's different than a typical bicycle store. Many of the traditional bicycle stores that only sign up with the big brands 
they may have three brands and they're tied into that big brand, whether it's, I don't want to mention any names. <laughs> and these are beautiful bikes, high dollar. But if that brand has huge demand and they cannot provide bicycles to that retail store, that retail store is now doesn't have enough bikes to sell. And their only savior is fixing flat tires. Yeah. And I've seen that happen with some of those big brands that, uh, we won't name those giant specialized e-bike brands, you know, I'm just using, those are just uh, adjectives. Those aren't brands. That's right. Uh, that's right. <laughs> that, uh, yeah, you're right. If they're relying on one, two, you know, different companies and they don't have bikes, yeah, then you're relying solely on service. And, and it's not like you can't survive on service. If anything, I think some companies, that's going to be what holds them through this year without the inventory is offering good service. They're going to have to focus on that a lot. But normally, you know, selling service gets people in the door and gets people there and coming back. But when they see the nice shiny new bikes on the shelves and the racks and the displays, you turn some of those into buyers. And that's where a lot of their profit is coming from. And without that, I think that's going to be rather difficult. Right. So those are some of the factors that came into play for us as I was looking at our business and asking myself, who do we want to be? I mean, that's the what's your identity, right? Who do we want to be? I realized what I wanted to do with this business was to focus on consumer experience, not just on products. Many companies, they focus so much on the products that they forget about what does it mean to the consumer. And like you said, many of our consumers these days that are looking at e-bikes, they don't care if I have bicycles with XDR or XD or DR components. They don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They care more about, can I go ride with my grandkids? Or can I, like, I'm, I'm an adventure rider, right? Can I go do the big mountain climbs here in Colorado? And will I have a large enough battery that allows me to uh, have a 50-mile ride, including uh, mountain passes, and not run out of juice? To many people, that's more important than me trying to explain to them that this bike has a $1,000 front suspension. They don't care about that. They, frankly, I mean, there are few people that care, but many of them will never be in a position where a $1,000 suspension system is required. That's when I say, what is it that people want? It's the ability to have a great experience. And that's what we focus on. What is our consumer experience? And what is it they're trying to do with these bikes? And let's give them what they're looking for. Yeah, I think they, they don't want a good bicycle. They want a good electric bicycle. And that changes everything. <laughs> it really does. So it's interesting. That's So if they somebody goes into your store, they're going to see all these different brands. And I know from some pictures and videos, and there's going to be lots and lots more videos, I, I assume, coming out from your store. But from some of the things I've seen... You know, you've even got brands that normally are only direct to consumer, but you're, as far as I know, some of those, you're just buying them at normal retail prices and then offering more service and basically everything to go with it. And people are paying more than the list prices to buy bikes from you because of it. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, very well. I knew quite a few direct-to-consumer brands that I wanted to partner with, so I was buying bicycles from them. But we were able to provide a value proposition that our consumers were willing to pay for. Um, these are value adds, right? Uh, many people, the idea of receiving a giant box in front of their garage and assembling it and then not knowing who can service it, just, you know, it's, it's scary thoughts, right? Yeah, it can be a little intimidating at first. That's right. So, so what we started doing was we started bringing some of those bikes. We would provide the assembly. We would provide the first tune-up, and we would provide the warranty to our store for one or two years. And that was the big value proposition. What it did was it got us noticed. Some of the companies that I was buying these bikes from, they inquired, what are you doing with all these bikes? And <laughs> when I explained to them what we were doing, I was able to develop certain relationships. Our videos and pictures got noticed. Our customer reviews got noticed. So it started as such. The, the customer support agents at those companies started sending some of their customers our way when a customer would call in and say, 
is there a place I can go test drive one of your bikes? And they would say, yeah, well, if you're in Colorado, go see Hushman at eBikes USA. So that's how it started. But then we developed some business relationship based on the commitments I made. So now we have either dealership agreements or affiliate agreements with many of these brands. And now a lot of, let's just say quite a few direct-to-consumer brands are reaching out to us. They want to be in our store. They've recognized we are a premier store in in Denver. Uh, We have the clientele base uh, to support their brand. And we also have the technical team behind me to support their bike. So as a result, it has opened up the channels for us. So now we have Super 73, we have Sondors, we have Magnum, Aventon, Maggie Bikes. I know I'm missing a few names, Admotor. These are the brands that we have a great working relationship with. Meanwhile, we also have the Stromer, Isaac, Rally, High Bike, and I'm very excited. Diamondback is reintroducing their brand in this country as an elite brand, and they just introduced their electric bikes. We are one of their very first dealers that will carry Diamondback electric bikes in the nation. The first shipment yesterday, I've already looked at them. They're beautiful bikes. Look for videos on that bike uh, in a week or two and we have more models coming our way so that's an example of how we were able to transform ourselves even though we're one year in business but have both established mainstream brands that sold traditionally through retail stores but also have these direct-to-consumer brands and be able to provide not only sales but more importantly service after the sale. Yeah, a question that's come up for me now, because you said sometimes brands are sending people to your store. Obviously, you've got a huge selection there. You know, there's not very many places in the country that have a selection as wide as that for electric bikes. I can think of, you know, maybe one or two. Are you finding that most people are local to the Denver area, or are you getting people that are driving, you know, three, four hours away to come to your store? We're becoming more of a regional store. Uh, We started as a local Denver proper store, then... uh, It sounded like a mom and pop bicycle shop when you bought it. I mean, that's that's where it started out, right? (laughs) That's exactly what it was. And then we started getting um, uh, what I call the 150-mile radius clientele. Now we're getting customers that are driving four or five hours from uh, neighboring states coming to see us. And they call. They, you know, they've seen the videos and they've seen the website. So they call. We operate by appointment only. And we try to, I, I have made special videos for a particular customer that we don't share on YouTube or on Facebook. This is a video to just give that consumer a product overview of what we have in the store. So before they drive for five, six hours, they know exactly what's available for them and what they can expect when they get here. Yeah, that's great. I, I definitely foresee that it's more of a destination than just a place to buy an e-bike, if that makes sense. I, I can see that people will start traveling from further and further away to come see what you've got. It just makes perfect sense to me. Well, this last summer, we had some customers that, were vacationing in Colorado and they made plans with us to come visit us as part of their vacation. <laughs> uh, we had customers that would call in in advance. We would uh, arrange for a rental bike for them for a week and they would stop here first from the airport on the way to the mountains and we would set them up with a bike rack, two bikes, uh, get them all sorted out. They would go up to the mountains for a week or longer and one case, it was much longer than uh, weeks. It was into months. And uh, then on the way back to the airport, they would drop off the bike. And in a couple of occasions, they ended up buying the bike and we shipped it to them to their home state. So, yeah, it's a different experience calling us than what you would expect from a traditional bicycle shop or bike shop or bicycle store. It's it's a very different experience. And we're proud of that. Yeah, it sounds like it's working extremely well for you and and i i always like to do things differently i feel like if i'm doing things the same way as everyone else then i'm having to fight and compete with everyone else if if we just do it totally different <laughs> we don't have to worry about that we can do our own thing and uh 
you know, build up something that people care about and something that makes sense. And uh, it sounds like you've got a very well-oiled machine, I should say, that that's uh, forming there in Colorado. And the videos, the store, everything looks looks really good. So I can see why people are attracted to to what you guys are doing out there. So we take pride. My belief is that I'd rather not sell the bike than selling a customer with the wrong bike. So we focus on, and, and in, in numerous times, we have encouraged the customer who's in our store to go shop elsewhere, whether it's online or a different retail store, because I feel like, and my team has bought into this, that if we don't have the right product for them, we would rather they buy it elsewhere and have a good experience than us making a sale. So that's one of our philosophies. Yeah, I fully agree with that and have that uh, conversation every once in a while with people where I say, I had one yesterday, somebody said, I have kind of what you're asking for, but it's not exactly what you need. Uh, you know, and they referred them to a couple of other companies that I think would have a much better fit for them. And they were happy about that. You know, obviously they have to go do a little more digging and find exactly what they want. But that's just so much better. Because if you have somebody and you sell them a bike and they're not 100% happy with it, like, are they going to be as excited to tell their friends about it or to do this or that? I mean, the answer is no, that's that's not good for the e-bike industry. You know, we don't want to be used car salesmen where you just sell them whatever's been sitting on the lot the longest. That's <laughs> that's terrible. No, you're precisely right. I mean, one of the things we've introduced to reflect that we take pride in ensuring the bicycles fit our consumers and not the other way around. So many times you, you walk into a store and they have a bike, but it's a high step bike, but the customer is asking for a step through model. And the answer, and I've heard this personally, I've heard this from, you know, another bicycle store a few years back that they said, oh, you'll get used to it. Well, the truth of the matter is, if I'm spending a couple of thousand dollars, I don't want to get used to it. Yeah, it should fit, right? It should fit me, right? So, so what we do is we have a diverse product offering, bicycles that fit people as short as four foot eight, four foot ten, probably it's a better saying, all the way to six foot ten. That means bicycles in different styles, different sizes, and that's what we do. The other thing we do is this year, we've developed a process that every customer, before they go home, they get fitted, properly custom fitted on their bikes. If it means we have to change the seat post, put a different type of a stem, change the handlebar, change the grip. In one occasion, we changed we ordered a specific brake handles. Someone who, who had a complication with their left hand, we put both brake levers on the right. So they could use the right hand to stop both with the front and rear brakes. Yeah, we had to do something similar here. I had a guy, uh, Rad Power, uh, actually referred him to us. He bought a Rad Power bike. Guy could ride a bike great, but only had one arm. And he asked Rad Power, hey, what do I how can I modify this bike so it works for me a little better and I can operate everything? And there he said, well, there's a local place called Bolton e-bikes, take it there and see if they can help you. Uh, so he brought it here and yeah, we moved some parts around and ordered a couple things and got everything set it up so he could use it with, you know, the one arm. And, you know, he was super happy about that, obviously, but it was interesting that they're like, you know, no fault against them. That's what they do is they sell a certain style of bike. But they sold him the bike, <laughs> knowing it wasn't going to work for him. Whether he not, he told him or not ahead of time, I don't know. But then they had to send him somewhere else to get it set up so it actually worked for him, which is a little weird. <laughs> it does happen. But so, so as part of this, we make sure every customer, they have a safe and fun and good experience with our bicycles before they leave the store. And that has paid off. That is, uh, we can see it on the Google reviews. We see it on, we hear about it on referrals. We get quite a few referral customers now. And they, yeah, they say, yeah, my neighbor bought a bike and she loves it. So I'm here to, to see you, to see what you have to offer me. And I don't believe in one size fits all. I think it's the other way around. And it's not necessarily the bike I like that may be a better choice for you. So, so we focus on those things. Well, good, good. This is all very exciting. What about going 
forward? What what are you going to do differently for 2021 or what do you plan on doing differently going going ahead? Cuz I feel like it's been a year. You had uh, a, like I said a very interesting start and now it seems like you have a plan, you've got a very clear direction for the way you want to run your business. Uh, what are you going to do going forward? Sure. So our strategy for year one was to be good and excellent in what we were doing, which was the retail business, the brick and mortar business. So our plans are to grow this year. It would mean multiple locations. It would mean online sales. So one of the things that uh, I did back in December of 2020, I secured a warehouse, a 3,000 square foot warehouse, and we're negotiating to expand it by another 3,000 square foot. So we have moved our service, two-thirds of our service department to the warehouse. All of our shipping and receiving is out of the warehouse. So the showroom is now truly a showroom. We do the quick and easy service at the showroom. Anything that requires parts, uh, ordered parts, or warranty work, uh, or specific custom work goes to the warehouse. So the warehouse that enables us to improve our operations, and that was very important to me. We have revamped our website. We are getting ready to introduce our e-commerce solution uh, with partnership with uh, companies like yourself. Uh, We are introducing our e-commerce. Part of my 2021 uh, plans were to look at our own brand of bicycles for the store. That one is somewhat on hold right now. I could not get commitment on enough components, I mean, something you've experienced firsthand, that I felt maybe we should delay our own brand right now. I was uncomfortable ordering containers of bicycles that I may not see for 12 to 18 months. So, so we, we have put the delay on it. And last but not least, we are expanding our reach to improve our marketing. I'm looking at TV ads this year. We're oh, looking wow. at, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a different experience. One of our customers uh, on one of the reviews, I, I don't know if it was on Facebook or, uh, or on Google, mentioned that when they purchased a bike from us, they felt like they were purchasing a luxury car. Uh, we take pride in that. And it's not about how much money they're spending. Mm-hmm. It is about the care and attention they're getting and, and we want to build on that this year. Uh, we want to show people what is it like to come to us for the same bike that they can simply order online. And in many cases, they end up bringing the bikes to us anyway for service. So they might as well buy it from us so they can get a better experience from beginning. That's our plan for 2021. Obviously, the growth is not just measured in dollars. The growth is measured in volume and uh, customer satisfaction. That's my plan for 2021. 2022, we're looking at multiple retail locations. So that is the foundation that we're building right now to prep prep for it. I've been approached by a couple of investment companies. They want to create a franchise based on our operating model. Uh, We're talking to them. I'm not sure I'm ready to sign the document on that one, but those are some of the things that we're looking at right now. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting if we start seeing uh, e-bikes USA stores <laughs> popping up around the the country. That could be quite interesting. I know there's companies out there, you know, like Pedego that have stores, but they only sell Pedego bikes, Pedigo. and that's it exactly. So you know, you have that one brand problem that you talked about earlier. You know, I I don't know that there's any sort of franchise anything that's doing the variety that you are not that i'm aware of anyway not to that extent the way we've talked about it there are a couple of companies that privately own that have multiple locations not to the magnitude that we are and also their philosophies are more about the volume whereas our philosophy is more about if we're not ready if we are not able to duplicate this experience elsewhere let's not do it so our philosophy is to provide that uh, white glove, high touch customer experience in everything we do. So if we are opening a second location in a different city or here in Denver Metro, we want to ensure our infrastructure can support us. 
Now, when you talk about multiple locations, perhaps I missed it, but are you thinking uh, initially that might be other places in Colorado first or other states? Uh, where do you think those might go first if, if that happens? Uh, the, the very first one is going to be here in uh, Colorado because we still have some growth that we have to accomplish to achieve. And that will allow us to utilize the same warehouse to support multiple locations. So the first one or two will be here in Colorado. However, I've put together a business plan to look at other states and where do we want to duplicate this. But that's a little bit farther away. Sure. So big, big plans coming out, though. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. And a lot of this has to do with partnerships, right? This is not something we can do with a team of 10 people. Here in Denver, we need to have partners like yourself in other states that want to join forces with us. And then it would make sense. Otherwise, I don't want to dilute our opportunities, nor do I want to dilute our brands. That's, that's very important to me that we're known as that premier experience and not just a, a crazy hooshman selling bikes <laughs> and whatever bikes you can get, but you never know if it's going to be around next year or not. Right, right. No, that that all sounds really good. I like the sound of that. Yeah, and, and just for the record, my wife that she does call me crazy Hushman when she hears my ideas. So <laughs> uh, I, I may get called that on occasion. Not not Hushman, obviously, but the crazy part. <laughs> crazy Kyle. Yeah. Maybe we should start a brand name. You would be Crazy Kyle, and I'll be Crazy Hushman. Well, well, we already got uh, one of the biggest bike stores out there in the country is crazy Lenny's. So there must be something to that. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Well, last thing I've got big plans. Sounds like coming a lot of progress being made. I don't have any doubts that you're going to make uh, leaps and strides over the next uh, year. If we follow up again, but last thing I got to bring up because it's a hot topic right now is the 30% proposed tax credit for e-bikes. And here's my question. Not just what do you think of the tax credit, throw you for a loop here, but what do you think the impact of the tax credit is going to be on the supply chain? Because we already have supply chain issues. Do you think it's a good idea to introduce a tax credit to incentivize people to buy more bikes when we're already having trouble producing or getting the number of bikes just to meet demand right now? There's my question. I think it will have a positive impact from several factors. It will introduce e-bikes to more people. More people will look at e-bikes as an opportunity. Hey, I can commute on one of these or I can exercise on one of them. The other aspect of it is if demand continue, which I think this tax benefit will help that, we will see more manufacturing ramping up. And hopefully some of that manufacturing will be here in the United States. And I think that would be great not only for the consumers, but also for the industry. I would love nothing more to have a made-in-USA bicycle in my store. Yes, I can assemble bikes. We do that all the time. But I don't, I'm not comfortable calling those made-in-USA. If I'm buying the parts from Asia and I'm just putting them together, that's not made-in-USA. I would like to see battery manufacturing. I would like to see the motors manufacturing to take off here in the United States. And I think... Uh, the excise tax, the, the tax benefits will help with that. The other aspect of it is, I will say this, it will allow people to upgrade the bike. So if somebody comes in here for with a budget of, let's say, $1,500, and now they recognize that they can afford that $2,000 bike, they will start purchasing nicer bikes, better equipped bikes. So yeah, and I think that would help our industry because when I look at Bicycles we run out, it's always the low-cost bike. I have plenty $5,000 bikes I can sell you, you know, <laughs> right. anytime. And I can order unlimited numbers. Yeah, it's the lower price point range that's selling more often because that's what people can afford. That's right. So I think I think people will start looking at $2,000, $2,500 bike in a more favorable view than, because now they're getting that tax benefit. And from what I read, and I'm I may not be accurate on this, but I think tax benefit is up to $1,500. So that would be 30%. You're looking at a $4,000 bike at that point. So yeah, it comes so almost out to exactly like 
you know, a $5,000 bike is like where you can get the most uh, of the credit. You know, right about 5000 you can get $1,500 off. That brings it down to 3500 after a tax credit. That might be somebody who's looking at a 2000 some dollar bike might make that jump, you know, if they're getting a bike that's what they consider twice the value, you know. I could see that happening. So I think anything under $5,000, I think, is going to see a bump in in sales, you know, over that price point. You know, I think if somebody's spending more than that amount, it probably isn't going to make that much of a difference. <laughs> they're going to buy the bike uh, no matter what the price is. They just want it and they're willing to spend the money on it. But I think you're right. I think people are going to be spending a little bit more than they would have been comfortable with before if they know that they can get some of that money back. That's right. And anytime you introduce electric bikes to more people and more people adopt that lifestyle, I think it's good. When I say it's good for us, I don't mean it from a business. I'm talking about what it as a community. It's good for the environment. It's good for people. It's good for the health of people. There's no downside to people buying e-bikes <laughs> at all. <laughs> That's right. Anytime you get people outside on a bicycle, it helps with the environment, but it also improves the traffic or lessens the pain of traffic. And I think the if the tax go through, and I know already, I, I was a pro, I was talking to one of our vendors yesterday. A lot of the larger companies have gotten behind this immediately. Yeah, I've noticed there's a lot of public support already, even though it was just you know announced within the last few days. And I think with the current political climate, I. I personally don't see it not going through. I, I just, it doesn't seem like there's a chance of failure. I think it's going to proceed. Obviously, it's political and can't guarantee anything. But my opinion is after kind of taking some time to think about it and look at where we're at today and, and more electric vehicle tax credit, you know, stuff just got introduced and put on the table. It seems like it's kind of a no brainer that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when, I think, now. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And, just like last year was a was an amazing ride, I think we will continue on an amazing ride this year. And possibly 2022, I think there are still quite a few people that have never ridden an electric bike. And we have an opportunity to do something to, it, to, the, to the bike. Yeah, I think the average person still has not ridden one, and that's usually all it takes <laughs> for them to say, yeah, I need to do this. Well, I know of at least three people that they sold one car. I'm talking about couples. They sold one vehicle and they have multiple electric bikes. And when they need to run quick errands, when the weather's nice, they're not driving. Whereas 20 years ago, that was unheard of. People that would go out and buy a bicycle, I'm talking about the analog bikes of the day, they weren't buying them for transportation. Majority were buying them for recreation. Whereas now it's becoming it's becoming an alternative transportation, and I think that's what I like to see more of. Yeah, I think it's it's coming. It's it's more for recreation now, but I think it's there's going to be a slow but steady shift where people start using them more and more for what you're talking about for running to the store and running errands. It's just a natural transition that you know they buy it for fun, but then they're like, oh, I can go run to the store on this. It's fun and it's useful. They're just going to start using it that way. It's just a natural progression at this point. You're absolutely right. I think it's going to be an amazing ride this year. Well, good. I agree. I think it's going to be a little bit hectic <laughs> getting inventory and getting parts and planning lead times and, and all that fun stuff. But it's going to be a fun ride all the way through the whole year. And hopefully by you know 2022, uh, the inventory kind of settles down, whether that's production ramping up or, you know, whatever it is, basically we can meet the demand and people can be able to get a bike easily. That's the model they want. And, you know, that fits them, you know, whether they're going to a store like yours and, and picking something out in person or, you know, finding it in stock online. I, I think we'll get back to that. It's just going to take a little bit more time. So great to know that you have a big selection and, and bikes in stock that people can buy. That's awesome. Absolutely. And frankly, that's the pillar of our business. We have bicycles you can go home with. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal right now. And I want to say something that I shared with you last year. I'm hoping 
you and I will get a chance to travel and do one of these events, one of these podcasts or YouTube events together in the same room. That was our plan for 2020. <laughs> that didn't yeah. happen. I was planning to come visit you in California and and I invited you to come to Colorado and neither one of us could travel for most of the year. So let's hope we can accomplish that goal this year. I think that's a good idea. I think that would be great. Yep. Let's go on a bike ride. <laughs> awesome. That sounds like fun. Well, thank you uh, for being on the podcast again. I, I appreciate your time. I know this episode's a little bit longer than normal, but a lot of good stuff covered here and very happy to hear about all the progress that you've made and uh, can't, can't wait to hear what happens over the next year. Absolutely. And thank you very much for having me on your show. And I look forward to your success, continued success and uh, other opportunities to sit down with you and chat. Awesome. So tell people one uh, last time the name of your business, where you're located and how they can find you if they're in the Colorado area or if they want to make a trip. You bet. So we are E-Bike USA. Uh, we are in Cherry Creek District. In Denver, Colorado, we're not too far from downtown. We are centrally located. The best way to find us is obviously Google eBikes USA Denver. Also through eBikesUSA.com. Please call ahead, make an appointment, or send us an appointment request through the website. We would love to set up a time with you where we can uh, devote enough time with our clientele and uh, work with you. So ebikesusa.com, Googling ebikesusa, or simply visiting us in Cherry Creek, Denver, Colorado. Awesome. Great. Thank you very much. And for those that didn't get a chance to hear the first episode, if you want to jump back in time and hear how this all started, then once again, that's episode seven that was released March 3rd of 2020, just about a year ago from today. So if you are new to the podcast and you want to get notifications when episodes come out, also don't forget to go to ebikepodcast.com. You can sign up there for the email list. Basically, we just send you an email once a week on Tuesdays when new episodes come out so you don't ever miss one. Make sure you're on that list because who knows? You may hear Hushman's name again sometime in the future. Thanks again for listening. Once again, I'm Kyle, the owner of Bolton E-Bikes, and this is the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. Oh, 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 o